Danny, oh my goodness, what, what are you doing dragging that, what is that, a log? Oh, Josh, I gotta somehow turn this thing into a canoe. A, a, can, a canoe? In, in all my years, Danny, I've never seen you do manual labor. I mean, I've barely seen you lift a finger. What gives? Well, Daddy Sean asked me to. I couldn't say no. Oh, it's for Sean. Okay, that makes sense. Welcome to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. Two gay guys watching Baywatch, one episode at a time, more or less at random. I'm Josh. I'm Denny. And today we'll be talking about Baywatch, season 10, episode 17, Breath of Life. There's some breath for you right now. Or we could call it the German title, which translates to The Chosen One. Ah. Which made me think, was this sort of like a Star Wars sort of reference or something? Because Phantom Menace had come out in 1999. I, I don't think so. I think it was just whatever. But the German title, I'm going to give it a whirl. Der Osservator. Der Osservator. Is, I believe, how it's pronounced, the chosen one. Letta. <laughs> Close enough. Letta. Something like that. This episode aired around February 21st, 2000. And I was going to be turning 19 the following March. Not the following March. Just a few weeks from now. Uh, and I was basically totally checked out of pop culture. I was living in the dorms at the time. How old did you say you were? 19. 19. Well, no, I was... A, yes. I was... Wait, no, I was going to turn 19, so I was only 18 still. And I was spending most of my time skipping classes, having panic attacks, and partying as much as I possibly could. I was 14, about ready to graduate from middle school. And at this time, I was being very rebellious because with my middle school, they had this stupid rule where all the boys had to tuck in their shirts because it had to do with like all the school shootings, and this was to prevent people from like hiding guns in the waistbands of their shorts. You know, Daytona was a hotbed of, uh, of of gun activity, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a silly time. Some of the good things, at least from my perspective, going to these raves and things that I was all at the time, uh, there were giant pants for as far as the eye can see and shiny shirts and frosted tips. It was a very, very glossy time. And the news at this time was consumed with the upcoming presidential election, which snooze fest like who really cares because at this point in the race it was clinton's final year and at this point gore was the nominee for the democrats it was decided it was done he was going to be the nominee however the republicans had a very brutal race going on at the time so every news report contemporaneous that i could find had at least some focus on if not the entire focus being who was going to be the Republican nominee. And at this time, it was between basically John McCain. And I'm coming back and we're fighting this fight and we're going to win this fight. And George W. Bush. And, well, we all know how that turned out. At this point, I was not into politics. I was thinking I was a Republican because my whole family were Republican. So that's all I really knew. So Grow and change. That's what it's about, <laughs> right? Something that is closer to where we are now, cell phones were just starting to spread across the country, and I wouldn't get my own for at least another year. Oh, I would not get one for several years. Yeah, I was still using phone cards to call home from the dorm, and uh, the Nokia was in ascendance, though. Their little brick phones were all over the place and starting to get very popular. Actually, I don't even think I got a phone until after high school. 
I did get a pager. Ooh, a two-way? No. Oh. But not even just any pager. My sister's hand-me-down pager. Oh, what a time. What a time. <laughs> Do people even still use used cell phones anymore? Cell phones? Well, yeah. You passing down to, well, no. They, I know they don't uh, use pagers anymore, but I'm saying... I think at hospitals, still slightly, a little oh. bit. We were using one not too long ago for our department till about like three years ago. Oh. So. I can see their utility in the fact that they're nice, simple objects that are hard to screw up, whereas everybody's smartphone has endless distractions yeah. on it. Now, back in 2000, though, smartphones were not even a thought in nope. anybody's head. Instead, text messaging was just becoming a thing. And at this time, most users had to pay per text message, not just to send them, but to receive them, too. There were lots of squabbles between people about, don't send me any texts until after <laughs> 9 o'clock and, and things like that. And to be honest, if they brought back a pricing structure like that, people would probably communicate a little better than they do now. I think at this point, I was still waiting until 9 o'clock so I can call my best friend, Betty, who moved, had to move to North Carolina. Oh, uh, the old days. Yeah. Things, there were a lot more boundaries in general back yeah. then. Technology just wasn't up there yet. No, but speaking of technology, good segue there, Denny. Video games, something near and dear to your heart. In 1998, a few years before this episode aired, the Game Boy Color was released, which means everybody had one by this time, and everybody was playing... Pokemon, either red, blue, or yellow. I was still playing Pokemon on my original uh, gray Game Boy with the green screen. Yeah, but which version? I got red first, and then I got blue maybe like a year later. I left my Game Boy at home because who needs video games when you're an adult in the dorms? Well, I needed one. Luckily, my roommate had stolen his sister's, and I played Pokemon Yellow quite uh, a bit. Which... I know about Yellow. Well, Yellow was the one with Pikachu yeah, and actually using yeah, his yeah. voice, so that was the one. That was fun. Also, on February 4th, 2000, a few weeks before this episode aired, The Sims was released. And I was playing a pirated copy as soon as I could. I was playing probably not till high school, The Sims, but we had a cheat code to get infinite money mm. so we can make anything we wanted. It was... We spent a lot of time on that. Yeah, I played a lot of SimCity, so I was very familiar with that Maxis was going to build in tons of cheat codes. And they were very easy to find in the old days. And for some reason, I feel like I was playing Sims before February of 2000. Because it feels like I played it an awful lot in that first year of college. But uh, I don't know how. Then again, I was pirating an awful lot. So maybe there was a gray copy available. And speaking of pirating, that was the only way I was watching movies at the time. I certainly wasn't wasting any of my very, very, very small amount of cash on anything but pizza and pot, so I was downloading. I was only pirating music at this point. Well, Napster was around. Yes. Napster was still functioning. It wasn't as good as it was earlier. Uh, well, earlier, but uh, it was still viable. But I used, for movies, MIRC, which was basically, it's basically like a chat program that you could download anything through. And it made me... Very popular on my floor of the dorms because whatever latest movie was out, I could find immediately some shitty cam rip and we would all huddle together in these <laughs> tiny little dorm rooms looking at these now very small computer screens watching these movies. I, I have very fond memories of watching The Blair Witch Project and American Beauty in horrible quality with a whole bunch of guys breathing down my neck. It was... Uh... Part of that sounds good. Well, there you go. A room full of college boys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? Now, at the theaters proper, though, I, again, I wasn't going, but Boy of the Room was out and the original Pitch Black, which would basically prepare America for our Vin Diesel-filled future. 
I do remember Pitch Black. I don't remember Boiler Room. Boiler Room is full of studs. Oh. It's not just Vin Diesel. It's a whole bunch of other... Uh, Giovanni Ravisi is in it. Oh, he has a really good body. Oh, does he? Yes. I just know him from his face. But it's about a bunch of douchebag bros being stock traders, like day traders. Mm. And so it's one of those money-type movies where guys are doing all shitty things. We should probably watch it someday. Like prequel to The Wolf of Wall Street? Actually, Wolf of Wall Street takes place prior to Boiler Room, but it's the same culture. Mm. Exact same culture of money, excess, excess. (laughs) Now, television... I wasn't really following either at this time, to be honest. The only time I seemed to watch TV was when I was hungover, which was fairly frequently. You're in college, though. That makes sense. Exactly. And I, admittedly, I was going through a lot of emotional stuff that uh, I wrestled with for a number of years. And uh, the experts were happy to pump me full of pills eventually, but they did not help. Were you out to your parents at this point? Absolutely not. Mm. In February of 2000, I wasn't even out to myself. Uh, I was still by. As was, as was the style at the time. Which was the style at the time. And I, I was by uh, after 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after I graduated high school, then I was gay. I was occasionally making out with a girl here or there because you're living in the dorms. I was in a co-ed dorm also. So it was boy, girl, boy, girl, separated by floors. And, uh, you know, things make themselves opportune. Plus, it was a very different time. In 2000, being an out gay person... You were in danger, to be perfectly honest. Which was the style at the time. But, as for what I was watching, it was mostly random crap that was on in the middle of the day, like Pamela Anderson's VIP, which we've talked about before. Never seen. Well, it was in its second season at this time, and I did find the pilot, so we'll be watching that soon. So, wait, was... Oh, so she's already left the show at this point. Okay, gotcha, never mind. Yes, Pamela Anderson's final episode was... The, uh, the, uh, Hunchback, or not the Hunchback, but like the... the Phantom uh, of the Pier episode, of the Pier, yes. Yeah. Which I don't remember what the name of the episode was. Ah, nevermore. Maybe and it was so I'm weird sorry. that that was her last episode because there was like no goodbye. Well, there was a cliffhanger in that Cody proposed marriage uh, and we were ended on yeah, her yeah. confused visage. But yes, that was it. Cody's going on one of those jock getaways again. So weird. It was. I was also watching reruns of Sliders on Sci-Fi Channel, which I definitely remember vividly. At this point, it had moved from Fox to Sci-Fi. It was in its final season. Jerry O'Connell had gotten replaced by his brother, and it was awful. There were cavemen bad guys that would chase them from reality to reality. I remember the first, like, season of Sliders. I was, like, into it, but then, like, I never was able to catch it when it was on, so... Yeah. Again, it wasn't a good time for TV. TGIF, for instance, which we frequently talk about to try to figure out when, where, what was going on... It was on its very last legs. The last episode that we covered was Dolphin Quest. So that's basically a year before this episode. And we talked about how there were two brand new sitcoms sort of sandwiching the block. Well, they both failed. And as a result, their loss of confidence completely in the programming block. And now TGIF was opening with a full hour of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, that was a big thing. It was so big at the time that it aired six different times this week alone. (laughs) That's way too much Regis Philbin for anybody, (laughs) but this was just the beginning of the onslaught. It would be, that channel would basically be nothing but Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for a very long time. Elsewhere on TV, ER was still the number one show in the country, which actually meant something back then because it meant over 30 million people were watching every episode. Nowadays, it's a big deal if you get 3 million people watching your show. Way too many options. Now, further down the charts, there was Ally McBeal. Ah, 
Yes, what? I was watching that. I was too, and so were 15 million other viewers. I guess I was watching some TV, but it was rare. And this week's new episode, Allie gets hit on by a very cute barista. a little too aggressively, to be perfectly honest. So much so that he plants a kiss on her without asking, with no consent whatsoever, and then she dumps her coffee on him. Oh. It was an iced latte or cappuccino or something, so it didn't burn, but... Meanwhile, I remember an episode where Allie McBeal intentionally hit someone with her car just to, like, talk to him. Allie was no paragon of virtue. <laughs> she was certainly not a hero. She just happened to be the main character. <laughs> Anyway, elsewhere on TV, finally in some gay news, there was a new episode of Will and & Grace, and I don't like Will & Grace, I don't like talking about it. I love it. I love Will & Grace. Well, I remember this episode vividly. Will and Jack decide to protest at the Today Show because ABC had cut a gay kiss out of some sitcom that they watched. And how do they protest, Denny? They kissed. And I just want to know how long I'm going to have to wait until I can see two gay men kiss on network television. Not as long as you'd think. <laughs> exactly. The Today Show, I don't know if they still do it. They used to have cameras outside, a big group of people. And so Jack and Will show up and they kiss each other live on camera. And that was actually inspired by a real life event that happened, I think, a year or so before on the Today Show. And at the time, Al Roker even said, you won't see that on Will and Grace. <laughs> Some nice topical stuff. And it turns out that was only the second kiss between two men on primetime U.S. television. What was the first? The first one... I'm glad you asked, was an episode of That 70s Show called Eric's Buddy, which I also remember. Oh, yes. Um, I know who it was with. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes. yes, he played Eric's friend, Buddy. Eric's Buddy. And uh, he's got the hots for Eric and makes a move and kisses him in their ca in his car at some point. And obviously, Eric flips out. and You're, you're gay! <laughs> Me? <laughs> no, I'm not gay. <laughs> you're not? But he, he just kissed me. Okay, I'm gay. <laughs> he actually flipped out at first, but like he was cool afterwards, but we never saw Buddy again. Of course, and apparently that was some behind-the-scenes drama that people didn't cotton to that gay character that much. Mm. So, Oh, well, Levitt did great work later on. Three months later, after the episode of Will and Grace aired, on an episode of Dawson's Creek, We've talked about Dawson's Creek before and the gay character of Jack. Ask me if I'm gay. Now, this is generally regarded as the first gay male kiss on primetime television in a romantic context. So on That 70s Show, it was a straight guy getting kissed by a gay man. Mm -hmm. On Will and Grace, it was two gay friends kissing each other. Jack finally got an opportunity to kiss his boyfriend at the time, Ethan, on the season three finale of Dawson's Creek. And that is what is considered the first gay male romantic kiss on primetime television. And now finally, 
Touching on music, like I said, I was kind of out of it, but let's tune over to MTV. And I normally go to Billboard to find the top hits, but it's 2000, so let's do what you do in 2000, which is watch TRL. TRL. Yes, exactly. The number two song and video was from the Backstreet Boys, and that was Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely. Mm, sad ballad. Not one of my favorites by any means. And how could they be? Because the number one song was In Sync with Bye Bye Bye. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, I actually knew most of the choreography from that and would do it in my dorm room. I think we need to do a video of you doing it. I did a lot more and, drugs back then. And post it onto our website. Yeah, there's lots of things we should do. Oh, deflection. And as for Mariah Carey, your favorite. <laughs> she was not on the TRL charts, Thank but... God. She did have a Billboard hit with 98 Degrees around this time, which we talked about before. It's called Thank God I Found You, and I don't remember at all. Uh, it does not ring a bell to me. No. And honestly, mostly what I remember of 98 Degrees is, are the Lachey brothers. <laughs> what is worth remembering. Now, what I was listening to was none of this, unless it was remixed, of course, because I was listening to endless techno music. And that's an umbrella term that I hate now. It's not very clear. But basically, I was really into house music. Anything that was a pop song remix that I knew the words to, but sounded as queer as humanly possible, I was into. I think the only techno song I knew at this point was Sandstorm. That's the one to know, I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's a... You don't hear it anymore. People should, like, remix it or something. We'll listen to it after this. <laughs> now, on to our Baywatch basics, now that we have grounded ourselves in February of 2000. And something new that I haven't done before, I'm going to talk about the writer of this episode. Just something I haven't really had time to really look into or wasn't that interesting. But this episode was written by a woman named Tanquil Lisa Collins. She also goes by Ty Collins. And she wrote... The previous episode of Baywatch that we watched, Dolphin Quest. Okay. And she also wrote the episode Sweet Dreams, which we covered, which was the one where Logan finds the baby and just mm. assumes it's his. Yeah. I know, I know I'm a scoundrel, but it works. Yeah, she wrote 11 episodes of Baywatch in total. Weirdly, we have watched three of them now. She also appeared as an actress on two episodes of Baywatch and one episode of Baywatch Nights. <gasps> the season two premiere, which is when it all started to get really crazy. Uh -huh. So we'll see her again someday. Now, on to the cast of this episode. Very small, as we have seen with these Baywatch Hawaii episodes. My supposition is the budget must have been in the toilet and they were clinging on for dear life, as right. we'll see. Yes, because <laughs> uh, there's... They only did one other season after this, right? Yep. And then it was... You can basically say Baywatch has 11 seasons, or Baywatch has nine seasons, and Baywatch Hawaii has two. Mm -hmm. So technically they rebranded, and a lot of places they consider this Baywatch Hawaii season one, but whatever. First up, we have Jason Ione, played by Jason Momoa. The star of this episode. The What looks to be really the star of all Baywatch Hawaii, it's becoming clear, and he is, of course... Uh, I don't know. The other Baywatch Hawaii's didn't really focus much on him. Like, we had the episode with Zach with the hurricane. Oh, that's right. He, was, he wasn't even in that. Yeah, and then we had Jenna and Sean trapped in the bunker. That's the same episode. Oh, that is. Oh, that's right. Uh, what was another Hawaii one? Oh, yeah, the uh, Weakest Link. Weak Link. He, he wasn't really in it that much. He messed with Kakoa a little bit, right? Yeah, and then there was one with Kakoa in, like, her whole <sighs> subplot with her ex-boyfriend. A knife and, in the heart, right? Yeah. yeah, like, you're right. Man, what am I saying? Maybe yeah. it's just because he's so prominent in my mind yeah. that I see it. Next up is your favorite. Daddy Sean. Come in. Sean Monroe, played by Jason Brooks. Mm. 
Then we're followed by Don Masterson, who's played by Brandy Ledford. Barely in this episode. Barely in this episode. More so than some others. And she was introduced initially in the episode that we covered before Week Link. And she was seemed like she was going to be an irritant for the whole crew. Let's get out of here and get a room. But... In this episode... She's the voice of reason. Exactly. Next up, we have Allie Reese, who's played by Simone McKinnon. And we met her before in Weak Link, where we also met Tanner. She's the Australian redhead Mm -hmm. that is also a helicopter pilot. Right, 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 right. Right. She gets maybe one line in this episode, (laughs) and then she's gone. So we really won't talk about her. And next up, we have the biggest bitch of Baywatch, Jenna Avid, played by Krista Allen. Insufferable. Now, if you just pipe down, it would be smooth sailing. She is worse in this episode than she was in the prior one, if only because her hair, she looks like she stole it from a mannequin. When you you first see her, you think, oh, she was actually good at one point, but then 180. Yes, this is actually a really good follow-up to our last one with Jenna, because it fills in a lot of what I guess we just assumed. Mm -hmm. And uh, makes her more interesting, still a raging bitch. (laughs) And that's it for our main cast. Very tiny, just five lifeguards, and really, two of those don't have anything to do. And what's surprising is, no Mitch, even though he's credited. Mitch is basically off the show by this point. He does get name-checked later mm-hmm. on, which we'll bring, we'll talk about. But by Baywatch season 11, he was totally gone. Yeah. Merely an executive producer. On to our guest stars to finish out our Baywatch basics for today. We have Moho Pono. Her first name is Moho. Her last name is Pono. And she is played by a woman named Lisa Ann Cabasa. And she played a girl named Jenny in two episodes of the first season of Twin Peaks. Okay. I, don't, I saw the first season not that long ago. I don't remember her. You would not remember her because she was a co-worker of Audrey's at the department store. When okay. she worked in the little department store at the perfume counter. And she actually ended up becoming a prostitute at One-Eyed Jack's, which is the local brothel. And then, finally, we have Kumu Pono, her grandfather, played by an actor named Keone Young. And did he look familiar or sound familiar to you? He looked familiar. Well, he has been in a million things from the early 80s until now. He works constantly. He is a character actor, so he's shown up in every single television show. He's a voiceover guy, so he's been in a thousand cartoons and video games and lots of movies. Where I know him best is from Deadwood, the HBO Western, where he played a character named Mr. Wu. San Francisco, he helped the criminals in town dispose of the dead bodies. He had pigs, and we'll leave it at that. All right, and now on to our episode, Baywatch, Season 10, Episode 17, Breath of Life. And we open on a cheap, poorly executed, multi-victim rescue. The sort of thing we've been craving, this is done in a really shitty fashion. And unfortunately, the most exciting bit is at the very, very beginning, which is actually just when the Baywatch logo whizzes by very quickly. Jason is on hand. He's coming by in a scarab, and he jumps in to start the rescue, but he leaves his boat completely unattended in rather rough waters. There's two guys in the water. They're yelling for help. And then there's one guy we see on a cliff nearby, just kind of like hanging out. In distress, but like, okay. I guess you could say he's in distress, but 
at least from our vantage point, he's clearly just hanging out there. And there's he's in no danger if he were to just what? move. He's in distress because he sees his friends, like, in the water, like... We don't get any explanation as to who these three men are, how they ended up in this situation. We don't get much of anything. Because instead, they just jump into the rescue and then move on past it. Sean and Allie, in one of the only things she gets... To, well, really, the only thing she gets to do in this episode. They show up on a red wave runner, ready to help out. And Allie's going to secure Jason's boat while Sean heads out to help with the rescue. And a little further out from them, there's another scarab. I guess all the lifeguards are only involved with this one rescue today. And on this boat, we have Jenna with her dreadful wig-like hair (laughs) and Dawn. And Dawn is dressed in her Baywatch Hawaii uniform, the bright yellow one-piece. But Jenna's clearly an outsider because she's wearing a red one-piece. Which, you know, if you're just coming into it, like, you think the red is the iconic Baywatch swimsuit, so you don't think anything of it, really. Which, at least partially, I hope that the the behind-the-scenes people were like, oh, this is a way to give false confidence to the audience, that this woman, oh, we can accept her, she's one of us, when, and in fact... She's been a spoiler the whole time. Mm. Well, anyways, Jason, you know, rescues one guy in the water, Sean gets the other guys, and Don and uh, Jenna are kind of having a little argument about, like, what they should do to assist. No, we're back up. Sean's got point. He'll make the play. There's another victim. Right away, Jenna's a bitch. The very first thing she says is she's doubting Sean's rescue plan here. She showed up after the fact, and we really don't know anything about her background. We know Sean is a trained rescue guy that Mitch Buchanan trusts enough to put in charge of Baywatch Hawaii. There's no reason to question him, and Dawn calls her on. What is he doing? What? Rightfully so, and it turns out Sean was right the whole time. A series of quickly edited clips later, and we see that Jason is now piloting the Red Wave Runner. He's got the one of the victims seated behind him, and then the second victim is climbed onto this sort of boogie board extension that they put mm-hmm. on the back of the Wave Runners, and... You must have been excited here because as he's laying face down on this boogie board, Sean climbs on his back. Ah, yes, I wish I could have been that victim. Yes, that's a lucky man and a lucky day. Before then, or after, right after that, the guy from the cliff falls into the water. (laughs) Oh my God, look, the guy's off the cliff. In in a ridiculous fashion. Just in our last episode, we saw a goofy guy somehow fall from a thing in a similar fashion. And again... I feel like he just jumped because... Well, he, maybe he saw what was happening with Sean. He's like, I'm oh, in on yes. this. So you know what? I can't fault him. He's a genius. It was actually me. <laughs> <laughs> this guy in a blousy pink shirt and cargo shorts falls from that rocky ledge into the water. And Jason, he's ready for round two. I got him. He jumps to the rescue. More poorly edited quick shots. And Jason's got the situation in hand. Well, what's interesting is when Jason says, I got it. Like, it kind of cut the camera cuts to like Sean's face. And he doesn't seem pleased that Jason jumped in, but it doesn't really amount to anything, I don't feel like. It's unfair for this show to expect anyone to expect subtext. (laughs) And so my natural inclination is to read into what what they're doing and whatever. But I'm also having to ground myself in that this is Baywatch. If they don't show it to you, it doesn't matter. And so I saw the same thing. And as we'll see through Sean's actions later, maybe there's a pattern of behavior with Jason. Maybe he's overzealous. Maybe he... Overconfident. Exactly. And he needs to be knocked down a peg mm-hmm. or two. But that, none of that gets communicated to us in any sort of literal fashion throughout the episode. Instead, 
we get more cuts. Cut, 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 cut. The MTV influence is all over this as we get a series of zoom-ins on random beach shots and babe's boobs. And all of a sudden, we're now at Baywatch headquarters and at some different time than before. Jason is approaching Sean because apparently Sean asked to see him. And it seems fully like he's about to get chewed out. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. In every way. Just to say, though, as Jason strides in across the floor of Baywatch headquarters, Baywatch Hawaii headquarters, he is only wearing his hot red shorts, and he looks damn fine. He looks real good in this episode. Oh, yes. Which is good, since this is a showcase for him. Mm -hmm. And he remains barely dressed throughout. I have to point out, though, something that you need to watch as we go through Baywatch Hawaii. And I didn't notice this in Baywatch proper. No one wears shoes at mm. Baywatch headquarters, which I remember is relatively accepted around Hawaii, but it's still disgusting. Yeah, but you think like you're in the sand constantly. You don't want that dragging in your shoes. What happens when you need to take a leak and you go into the public oh, bathroom? that's so gross. Thank you very much. That's why you just go in the ocean. <laughs> Good Lord. Dan. I have to ask a question. Please. And I should probably know this because Jason Momoa is kind of like a big deal now. Yeah. His background, is he part Hawaiian or like... What's his ethnicity? We've talked about this before, and we haven't ever, I think, really pinned it down. I want to say he's Hawaiian based on remembering interviews around Baywatch Hawaii and other things that he's talked about, but let's look it up. Because I think it's implied in this episode that he is part Hawaiian. We will get to precisely what he is considered to be later on, but according to the internet, which never lies. Never lies. Momoa's father is of native Hawaiian ancestry, and his mother is German-Irish Pawnee, which, you know, is a Native American tribe. So, yes, he's at least partially Hawaiian, which aligns with my memories. So that's good. And he also has that look. And I will tell you, Glenn is very familiar with this. My number one weakness are those Hawaiian boys. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but that... that well, you grew up in Hawaii half the time, so... I was pubescent at that time. The only real bully I ever had was Native Hawaiian and a real prick. That skin tone, that thick hair, that the whole lackadaisical attitude is very mm. attractive, which you may have seen with other people I have in my life. But <laughs> instead of getting a talking to, Sean has a task for Jason, a task that has nothing to do with his job as a lifeguard. Not at all. I feel like if this was reality, Jason would be like, no, I'm not going to do this. This is another situation where the proves Baywatch needs an HR department yeah. that is vigorously defending. Unless if like he was maybe considering it like maybe like a semi-vacation or something, then maybe I can understand. Well, the task, which we haven't stated, Sean needs Jason to go to the Big Island to pick up some sort of special canoe for him. It's an outrigger that he sees in a photo that Sean is in. And, and it's never explained in this episode why. Why he needs this canoe. We can suss it out ourselves, but there's no textual evidence for why Sean decided to do this. And, spoiler, there's no follow-up on this either, unless it happens in the next episode, which is called Big Island Heat. And I'm guessing they don't talk about this canoe ever again. Probably not, because uh, we won't get, we'll get to it later. Never mind. Now, Jason doesn't fight it at all. Like you said, maybe he considers it a vacation. Sean's offering him a first-class ticket to the Big Island, which is... Fucking ridiculous. And I'm somebody that I like to be bougie. Do you know how long it takes to fly from Oahu to the Big Island? I don't know, to be honest, because I don't know the island chains. It's I... under an hour. And so a first class ticket seems a bit extravagant. Wouldn't they just have like puddle jumpers at that point? 
they do. However, I did look it up and obviously it's difficult to find prices from back then, but a ticket nowadays from Oahu to the Big Island, first class, only around $300. Okay. So $300 for an hour seems a little extravagant, but hey, work's paying for it. So Jason doesn't care. He's ready to go. Aloha and welcome aboard Hawaiian Airlines flight number 178 to the Big Island of Hawaii. We hope you have a pleasant journey. Mahalo. And he's off. Oh yeah, like there's just, from right when that happens, on the plane going to the island. Yeah, before we know it, we're landing on the big island and Jason deboards the plane on the tarmac because that's what you do in Hawaii. Doesn't get a lay, if you notice. I did. Maybe that's because he's going from island to island or whatever. Maybe they know he's local. (laughs) (laughs) He's sick of lays, he's got plenty. Have you ever gotten off a plane on a tarmac? Yes. I can't recall precisely when, but I'm sure I have. Key West, that was what what it was for me. Okay. Um. I can't remember. I was in Aspen a couple years ago, and we were in a teeny tiny airport, but I can't remember. Now we just sound like jet-setting assholes instead of the nearly broke guys we Uh, are. Well, let's clarify. I've never been out of the country. I'm not a jet-setting asshole asshole (laughs) by any means. I'm in Florida, and I flew to Key West. Like, let's be real. That drive is a bitch, and I think anyone would agree Yes, a plane's the only way to go. Anyway... Back to Jason, who is waiting, again, for someone. Sean has apparently given him no instruction whatsoever. Again, like I, I would have been like, I'm not doing this. Jason's far easier going than we are. Though not the easiest of going. And he just sits on a little ledge outside the airport, and he listens to his music, all alone in cargo shorts with a flannel over a loose T-shirt. And we don't get to see what his headphones are connected to, but Jason may have been listening to some tunes that he illegally downloaded from Napster. Because at this time, MP3 players were available. The iPod wasn't around for another couple years, but there were portable MP3 players available. Because, I mean, the only other option is he's listening to a CD Walkman, and we all know those never worked right. I remember in high school, I had one that also had MP3 capability. I thought when you played a CD, it would record it onto the thing. And so like, I was upset I could never get it to work. And it just, it never registered with me. I wasn't doing it right. I'm guessing you don't look at instructions very often. No, yeah. not back then. <laughs> so as Jason's waiting, we see uh, this rather pretty girl start walking up in her uh, little jean shorts and camo bikini top. Yep. She's got wavy hair. She's a short young lady. And she's got chunky boots, hideous hippie belt, and bitch face. Oh, scowl for days. She is approaching, and you can just smell it on her. But Jason, he doesn't see the scowl. He just sees everything else. Exactly. Now, we don't learn her name right here, and Jason doesn't learn it for a while, but this is Moho Pono, who we mentioned before and Jason's not even interested in a name. He's too busy stammering like a goofball with the worst sort of flirting. I'm Tim Jason. I was uh, gonna think no one's gonna show up. Just get back on the plane, except that uh, it already, you know, took off. And I see you walking towards me, and I was uh, was hoping you're coming for me. Let's go. Um. But then again, when you look like Jason Momoa, maybe you don't need to work on it that hard. Well, with her, you might need to because she is not having anything that he's selling. She immediately hates him. There, <laughs> there is no indication as to why, but she does not like this man. 
But she's stuck with him because she has been tasked to take Jason to Kumu Poho, yeah. who is apparently the keeper of Sean's canoe. That's all, like, basically uh, Jason knew is he was meeting Akumu. Uh, and he asks her, like, are you going to take me there? And she's just like, follow me. She doesn't even tell him to follow. She just starts walking. And he's like, well, where's your car? Where are we going? And it turns out they'll be hiking to Kumu's place. And that's not so great for Jason because he's in sandals. And they're in, like, like I think what is, like, kind of, like, lava rock pathway. They are in a national park and it is called the Kalako Honoko'au National Historic Park, where there's lots and lots of jagged, sharp, pointy, ouchy volcano rock. <laughs> when that stuff dries, it ain't meant for feet. <laughs> and this, this walk, it's not just any walk. It's instead along what's called the King's Trail, which is actually a 175-mile long trail that traverses the entire Big Island. It goes through a bunch of historic sites and important cultural things to see. But it's really another opportunity for Jason to be attacked for his perceived lack of respect from Hawaiian culture. Well, you are ignorant. As we saw in the past episode, people seem to dig at Jason right away as if he is culturally insensitive mm -hmm. or that he doesn't know what these people are talking about. It's, it's one of the bigger through lines for the Jason character that I think we're going to continue to see throughout the series. And Jason, though, he's used to this just as much as we are already, and he deflates her education right away. She know He knows what you're talking about. He's familiar with King Kamehameha. He knows about all this stuff. Angry and hostile. I love that. I'll tell you what. Keep your name, little girl. I won't be here long enough to use it. Take me this trail so I get the hell out of here. He's more interested in more bad flirting. Yeah. Which leads to theme song, because this is Baywatch Hawaii, so we start off with a cold open, and then we get the fun theme song. Since it's the first Baywatch Hawaii theme, you probably prefer it more since it's closer to the most well-known theme, sort of just rearranged with some generic Hawaiian elements. And uh, I gotta say, I like the real cheesy synth that they use throughout <laughs> it, just because it's, it's so cheap. After the theme, the walk is over. They've reached their destination, which is a fairly run-down beach shack. And it's just in time for Moho to abandon a very sweaty Jason, and he's completely confused. Yeah. She just, no information is given to him whatsoever. So he just starts looking around, and he finds an outrigger canoe on the beach. Yeah, and I have to say, here's where I really started to look at Jason, since there's so little going on. This is a beautiful man. I gotta say, those lips are so pouty. You would think he was making a face, but nope, it's just how he looks. That notch in his eyebrow, is that natural or is that, like, intentional? I don't know. It's funny you mention his eyes, though, because he has sort of, like, a constellation of moles uh -huh. near his left eye that I think is just the most adorable thing ever. It's so cute. As far as the eyebrow cut, I hope it's natural. Well, I just, I question that because, like, now everyone's just kind of, like, doing a notch in their eyebrow now, intentionally. Hmm. Looking at Google quickly, I can't really tell. I, I, you know what? I'm not, well. Yeah, he's got it right there. Maybe it's natural. Could mm. be a scar under there. Yeah. Either way, he's beautiful. He started a trend. As Jason is poking around the entire estate, he checks out the canoe. Kumupono arrives. And he's going to be another... 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. For what we determined was maybe the fifth or sixth time, Hot Red Shorts has experienced some testicular difficulty uh, with our recording. We are already compromised as being in the closet and trying to figure out this in amateurish fashion, but for whatever reason, my phone decided to take a giant shit on the recording that we were uh, doing, and I do believe we were both sweating quite a bit. It did seem like everything we had, we had recorded previously got lost completely. Which doesn't seem like that big a deal, but that's until you think about trying to repeat a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and just being off the cuff. It's it's not a fun place to be. We've had to do it once before, and I'm pretty sure I still have the recording of us screaming for three minutes. <laughs> uh, that was probably the funniest part. I'll have to edit that in sometime. But, but anyway. But thank the lifeguard guard sorry, lifeguard gods, you manage to recover it through some sort of website. God bless the internet. God bless Mitch Buchanan. Whatever it took, we do not have to fake having a spontaneous conversation for a second time. Instead, we can just continue to talk about our episode. And we were talking about Jason, and he's looking through the various knickknacks and things that are there when, all of a sudden, who makes himself known? Hey! Hey, come here. What you doing snooping around my home? Kumu. Kumu Pono who is going to be his mentor for the duration of this episode. Exactly. At this point, he just seems like another person that is irritated as hell at Jason for no discernible just reason. Existing. Exactly. So his granddaughter, Moho, maybe they just share bitch in their <laughs> genetics. I mean... I, I literally have her in my notes as bitch for most of it because I did not know her name. I think that now that you know her as Moho and we know what happens to her, you can give her a little latitude. <laughs> from here on but you know you do you because she is quite the judgmental bitch but as doofy as jason is he's still hot and he has yet to show any signs that he's a bad guy mm -hmm. a bad flirter yes or that he's even bothered by either of their attitudes no which you would think would make him at least chill out a tiny bit but no they never do this is a super cliched plot there is not anything uh, subtle here or or really beyond the surface level. And this whole episode, I think, is more kind of informing the viewers more about Hawaiian culture than anything else. Yes, there is a lot of that. Yeah. Which is a good thing to be exposed to other cultures. The assembled Hawaiian crew, they trudge off into the jungle and the incredibly obvious plot becomes even more obvious here. Well, we'll say first, let's go back. The canoe that Jason was looking at thinking that he was supposed to pick up for Sean is not what's on the beach. They have to tread even further than they already did. To find the canoe. Kumu lets Jason know, we will find the canoe in the jungle somewhere. And there's no canoe waiting in the wilderness. No, the canoe, where's it waiting, Denny? It is living. It's a giant, well, first they come upon this giant tree and Kumu points up in the air, like the canoe is like in the branches somewhere. <laughs> And so Jason's looking around, and then it finally dawns on him. He's like, oh shit, no. I'm supposed to, what, make one? They expect me to chop down this tree to carve out a canoe from it. Yes. As far as we know, and they don't tell us in this episode, Jason knows as much about canoe building as you and I do, which is nothing. And he, at this point, assumes he is just picking up a canoe, not making one. Oh, I wish Sean would have let me know about this little secret. If it was me, I would have walked away. 
Yeah, I don't think that I'd be so down with everything that's about to happen. But I also tend to be a little overly conciliatory when I'm with people in their environment. So maybe I would put up with it for a little while. The only time I would probably consider is if Sean promised me some sort of like sexual favor. <laughs> then maybe I might assemble this canoe. <laughs> you know, uh, these are just the kind of game Sean likes to play. He's cute. Very, very cute. Jason here, he is in for some sort of spiritual awakening that he's going to learn this local craft, how to make a canoe, and supposedly it's going to allow him to get more in touch with his native roots. No pun intended, of course. And as well-intentioned as this might all be, at no point, at least for me, was there any emotional connection. It all felt very eh what it was. Well, also, like, we find out later, like, through this episode, like, it's not explained why Jason is doing this, why Sean picked him, what set this all up. At best, it's intimated. Yeah. And there's a lot of blanks we have to fill in, which normally is fun, but here it was more of a chore. Yeah. I just didn't care. As much as I love Jason, as much as I love Hawaiian culture, this did not work for me, but we're rushing to the end. True. In the meantime, Jason has to fell this tree he hadn't brought any tools. It doesn't look like there's any tools, but Kumu produces an... It looks like something from the Stone Age. It basically is. It's a traditional Hawaiian tool. It's, it's a stick with a rock tied to it. <laughs> and this is going to be the axe that he's going to have to use to pull down this tree. But before that... The first step is to ask permission and to apologize to the tree for taking its life. A chance? Yes, and how do they do so, Denny? Uh, there's a chant. Yeah, they have a sacred chant, and... Moho is the one who chants it, and it does not... When they're showing the scene, it does not sound like her voice at all. No, it probably is dubbed in. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to defer to you a lot to this, because I have n no exposure to Hawaiian culture. You lived on the islands. I, I will admit, I'm no expert by any means... Uh, novice at best. But yes, there was a huge emphasis on environmentalism, about having a connection, a physical and spiritual connection with the world around you, which is kind of considered cliche when you think about quote-unquote native peoples and can be applied to all sorts of types. But in this case, absolutely true. It was something that was talked about an awful lot. And hell, you can even see it in other pop culture Hawaiian things like Lilo and Stitch, Moana, which wasn't specifically set in Hawaii. Polynesian. Right, but it's the same sort of culture where they're talking about you live in cooperation with the world around you. And for people that live on an isolated island... It makes all the more sense that with limited resources, you have to have a lot more respect for what's around you. It's well put. Thank you. And, you know, the Native Americans here in America, in North America, I feel like, you know, they had that kind of same sentiment. You like definitely respect for the land. You right. use up everything, every part of the animal, that sort of thing. And it's actually probably much more common across lots of cultures. Uh that cross racial barriers and things like that, just depending on what are your resources like. Mm. If you can't call the pizza guy, you're probably going to appreciate the meal that you make at home <laughs> a hell of a lot more. But I want pizza. <laughs> we can always have pizza. That's the great thing about living now. Anyways, so we don't actually see Jason chop this tree down. No, because it dur during the very sacred and very special and very important chanting that they're doing... We get some fade into trees, 
a dramatic montage of close-ups of Kumu and Jason considering it, Moho singing, before we get a bunch more quick shots of boobs and babes. <laughs> we slam right from this thoughtful, sacred moment back to the beach, which makes it all the harder to take it seriously, but this is Baywatch. One thing I want to make a comment on, like, as they're traveling through the jungle before you even reach the tree, Kumu, like, has a little side conversation with Moho, asking her, like, why he makes her angry. Right. And she thinks he's disrespectful. He's rude. He's disrespectful. He arrives with empty hands. What kind of person comes to another person's home with empty hands? Right, which has not been proven by anything, and this conversation doesn't really lead to much. But it kind of, like, sets the thing where... It's kind of setting up a relationship between her and Jason a little bit. Well, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion, yeah. as we know with most things here. But it is showing that there's a potential that she may thaw a little. Yeah. But also, like, you know, he, she's saying he's disrespectful. But Jason's been thrown into the situation without any information or warning of what this is supposed to be. So cut him some slack a little bit. She's being just as disrespectful to this stranger that she's meeting for the first time as she seems to think Jason is. So there's a lot of prejudice going on both directions. Enough of that. We're back at Baywatch headquarters. And who's here but our favorite, well, no, our least favorite bitch, Jenna. Ugh. Hi. She's got a fake smile plastered on her face that matches her fake looking hair. And she's wearing, again, the red one piece cut so high on the thigh that it's practically at the armpit. Like, <laughs> that thing could just snap at any moment. And she's here to greet Sean. We're on a dock, and he's busy cleaning his scarab, the responsible lifeguard man that he is. Boy Scout. Yes, very much so, but you can practically hear the Jaws music as Jenna approaches. <laughs> she is bad news. I will say I was kind of uh, tricked by Jenna at this point, because I... Our previous episode was takes place later in the series. A year later, yes. Where she is just a complete and utter bitch. And this one, she seems nice and sweet. And actually, it seems like they actually are starting a relationship with each other. We speculated before that they must have had some sort of relationship that may have led to their sparks their friction and their sexual chemistry in the last episode when they were trapped in a bunker almost to drown. Yeah. What we learn here is that they're starting a relationship of some kind. They start to talk about just how many dates they've been on specifically because, as Sean lets us know, Jenna lives her life by a series of incredibly rigid and specific rules only known to her. And we also find out, like, Jenna pretty much is a control freak. Oh, absolutely. If it, if it wasn't made clear before in the last episode, it is abundant here. Mm -hmm. She must at all times be the one making the decisions and making the plans. Well, basically, her whole rule is like, I guess it's implied that she doesn't do anything sexual until the fourth date. You informed me of what you don't do on the first date. Oh, girl's got to have rules. Yes, yeah, she does. Right, which I always thought was the third date, but, but gay men have different They rules. already had one date. So like Sean comes up with this brilliant plan. Like, let's have lunch this afternoon and then dinner tonight and then, uh, what was it, dessert or something? And then... That'll be our fourth day? Yeah. Which, sure, Sean. I mean, that's a lot of food. Yeah. It's a lot of consuming before getting them down. But it sounds perfectly flirty and fun and the sort of thing that two people that are starting this sort of thing may go across, but she shuts them down. Her rules are rigid, as we said, and she has a structure that is going to be followed. Well, no, it's just that she wasn't able to do dinner, but she so she could do everything else, but she could do dinner the next day. 
which there must be something else involved if, since it was her suggestion. And again, Sean's just anxious to get these dates on. I'm sure the only thing he hears is the throbbing of his boner. Uh, I definitely heard it. <laughs> so Jenna agrees to the date tomorrow night, and uh, she flashes a very strange grin. Whenever you see Jenna smiling, it is bad news. I'll, I'll just put it out here. Never trust Jenna. She's not, she's not a good person. Words to live by. That's something <laughs> to put on a t-shirt. We head back to the beach shack and a shirtless Jason. Shirtless, that was my note. Yes. He has a harness and he is dragging that log back to that shack. He has no harness, Danny. He has a rope tied around his waist like a farm animal. Oh, I thought it was a harness. <laughs> Those are only in your fantasies. <laughs> well, not just yours. But yes, it's sexy nonetheless. This bronzed man pulling a log down the beach and he must have done a ton of work because compared to the tree we saw before this is a very small segment comparatively and jason apparently has been by himself dragging it through the jungle to the shack with kumu and just uh moho just watching that took a long time yeah maybe observing saying hey watch out for that rock <laughs> i don't know we definitely could have used more of this scene though to be honest there was a lot of filler in this why couldn't we have watched jason drag something across the beach shirtless. Well, Jason feels like he's done for the day, but Kumu has one more hiccup for him. Yes. Apparently the tradition is, you should start carving the canoe the same day you cut down the tree. And what is interesting here is we haven't seen Kumu lift a finger. It's definitely another trope where you have like the wizened expert that's a little goofy, that seems very lazy, but continually prods the young student and who ultimately answers in defiance. When 900 years old you reach, look as good you are not. Hmm? <laughs> and that's what Jason does. He takes the ax, slams it down one time to lodge it into the log and says, there, I started carving and I'm done for the day. Perfectly acceptable, sir. Mm. How many hours am I supposed to work on somebody else's goddamn canoe? And really, He's starving at this point. He's hungry. Jason needs some food. He's been working all day. And Kumus agrees it's time to eat. So he hands Jason a fishing net. Oh, yeah. It is Jason's responsibility, apparently, to catch the fish, and then Moho will cook it. What? You would rather call out for pizza? What a great deal. Oh, it's a little sexist. Possibly, maybe she's just the better of the cooks. But, uh... Quite frankly, I don't want to fish, mm -mm. especially after that day, but whatever. His attitude, still flip, but he's no quitter. He's not going to give up. And he even like says, like, I know you're trying to see if I'm going to quit, but I'm going to keep at this. Now that I started, I got to finish. Besides, quitting can become a habit, right? Good. I'm all up in this thing now. Whacking and hacking and fishing, point pounding. I'm all in it. And as we've seen, people do come at Jason. They really do. For some reason, they get on his back. And so he must be used to, at this point, people give him a hassle. He's not going to give them the satisfaction of getting upset or giving up. He's going to prove them wrong. And in this case, he's ready to do more hard work. Kumu and Moho, they continue to conspire together. What do you think of him now? We'll see once the koa wood rips the flesh from his hands. Oh? You like that? Talking about how Jason is very important and 
he's here for a reason. Do you think he's the one? None of that matters, though, because we get to see Jason's shirtless silhouette <laughs> against the sunset as he flings the net majestically into the sea. And that I think that is what uh, causes Moho to start warming up to him. Because she's no longer looking at him with, like, contempt. No, more so hunger <laughs> or thirst, as we would say these days. But we can consider this as we fade to our first commercial break. Hello? Yeah, where are you? No. Excuse me, I'm working. It's the opera and I'm going to catch a red eye tonight, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Stay in touch without disturbing anyone with two-way paging and email from Skytel, the first name in advanced messaging. If only Baywatch held as much suspense and excitement as we're experiencing, hoping the stupid app doesn't crash as we are recording. Anyway, random shots of Hawaii stuff greet us as Moho brings Jason some breakfast. Some poi, which I don't really know what that is. Can you enlighten us? I can. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of tarot? Like the cards? <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. Okay. Tarot is a root vegetable. Okay. And it is in a lot of tropical areas. And so what poi is, is you take the root part of the tarot plant and you mash it up. And then you put it through a strainer to get rid of the uh, fibrous parts. And you keep mashing and mashing and mashing. And ultimately, you have sort of a gray, light purple paste. And brand new and fresh, poi sort of has a sweet texture. Not texture, but, but taste. The longer you let it sit, the more it ferments and the more sour it becomes. So it actually can be eaten in lots of different ways, mixed with other things. But the most traditional way and the way that they are eating it here, the way it's presented to Jason is it's just the poi, which basically looks like pudding. And the way that you eat it traditionally, you use one, two or three fingers, depending on how much you're interested in scooping into your mouth. And for Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch, this is a very apt scene. Well, when she first brings him the poi, she's uncharacteristically sweet. Yes. She's made him this breakfast. She's even, she's even like, let me show you how to eat it. Which, quite frankly, feels a little insulting. And Jason takes it as such. Yeah, he's like, uh, I know how to eat poi. I'll show you how we eat. Listen, you don't have to show me how to eat. I think I got that covered. And he dips his fingers in and starts eating it. Let's just be explicit. He dips his fingers into the goo, he lifts it to his mouth, and then some drips off before he can actually get it in there. And again, the consistency is similar to some other human products, perhaps you could say. That we are probably very well aware of. Moho shakes off Jason's frustration. Well, no, she first gets pissed off at him. She's like, why are you so rude? I'm not rude, I'm tired, and I don't like being patronized. They have another tete-a-tete. Yeah. It's another two bitchy people being bitchy to each other. Well, Jason's not bitchy. He just is tired of just being condescended to. I can understand that, but you don't fight fire with fire because you're going to get the same back. Somebody's got to be the bigger man. And in this case, it's going to have to be Jason because he's the ongoing character. He's the one that's going to have to bend a little to get a lot. And we do see that Moho is a lot more open to accept Jason because even though they clash here, 
she swings back and starts to explain to Jason just how bad off Kumu, her, her grandfather, actually is. That he's close to death, there's not much time left. And that Jason, inexplicably, unknown to Jason and unknown to us, has somehow been chosen to take over for Kumu as a master canoe maker. Do you know what Ho'o'elina means? It's got something to do with food I'm interested. It's the I... teacher's last student, the one chosen to carry on. You must become that for my grandfather. It's a lot of pressure. Out of nowhere, too. He thought he was taking a trip to pick something up. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now he is charged with stepping forward with these ancient cultural tasks. But at this point, we are going to award our Sudwatch to Mr. Jason. Jason Ione, played by uh, Jason Momoa. We have no other extras in this episode. As we mentioned in a previous Baywatch Hawaii episode, the cast is so damn small, but then they're never actually on a public beach. <laughs> we never get to see any other people other than our principals. You could say there was one or two people at the airport. They're fully clothed and nobody of note. There was the earlier rescue. Everybody was in the goddamn water. Mm -hmm. So this is yet another strange episode of Baywatch where we have to award the Studwatch to a lifeguard. Yep, but uh, Jason looks real good in the scene. He leans up against the tree. His chest is nice and tight. He's looking good. Flirty smile. So, thank you, Jason. Yes, and I will say, and I've said this before, he's the whole reason I was even interested in Baywatch at this point. Even though Jason is caught off guard... I'm a lifeguard. I'm not a teacher. He sort of just absorbs the information because Kumu's terminal and Jason, it seems, is the last chance for him to be able to pass on these ways to someone else. But, like, I don't know if this is more of just a kind of a sexist thing, but, like, why can't Moho pass it on? That's a very good question. And we could consider it sexist in our view, but take off your privileged hat for a minute, Denny. I'm taking it off now. There you go. And put yourself in the shoes of a different culture. They have different values. They have a different series of rules or traditions. And that's something I don't necessarily recall about the gender divide between men and women. But Hawaii did have a queen at one point. And so a lot of women had very strong roles, but it could be something that the women take care of these things yeah. and they're the best at that. And the men take care of these other things. But here we do learn why Moho was such a bitch when she first met Jason at the airport. And this goes back to something you were asking about before. Jason Momoa's ethnicity, we, we looked it up and, and found out, yes, he is indeed half Hawaiian. Moho expected that Kumu's successor was going to be Native Hawaiian. So that's why you're so pissed off at the airport. You wanted someone else. Someone that wasn't Hop or Holly, right? You know what it's called when you judge people on first appearances? I'm not prejudiced. Really? So we've talked about Howley before. Do you remember what Howley means? No, please remind me. Howley is a slur type word reserved for basically white people. But Hapa actually refers to, it's a, it's a Hawaiian phrase that refers to anybody of mixed ethnic background. Not necessarily Hawaiian and something. It's based, if you're biracial, you're a Hapa. Mm. Jason rightfully calls her on her prejudice and he's finally got something to laugh at her about. Yeah. But in this scene, she does apologize for acting the way she's been acting, which is a bitch. Plus, as we've said, Jason is growing on her, and it, it would be very hard to be constantly crappy to someone of his appearance. Especially after he uh, dipped his fingers in that poi. Exactly. Demonstrating his 
Well, anyway, Jason resolves to take the teachings more seriously. Why not? He's being presented with something that's fairly important and that I guess does matter to him. And yes, Moho apologizes for her bitchy ways. And there's finally some real chemistry between these two. The sort of thing that we knew would be there, but it's finally showing its face. Jason, though, decides that he needs to go for a swim. And Moho's going to join him. And we were going to be presented with a gratuitous bikini reveal. One of two. One of two of Moho. Uh, She slowly takes off her shorts? No, she's wearing a sarong. I thought that was the second one. No, 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 we'll, we'll talk about that. So she has a sarong fully wrapped around her body, oh, okay. including the top part here. And yes, she strips it off very, very slowly. Slow-mo. Yes, to reveal a barely there bikini. Do you want company? This thing is itty bitty. And Jason is watching all of it <laughs> come off. <laughs> the two swim off together and it's shot in the most boring way possible. It's crazy how they frame them swimming together. Obviously when people are swimming, you're not gonna see their full body. There's some water there. Literally half the frame is water. <laughs> and then we get to see their heads sort of bob on the top and then you've got all the sky. Very poorly framed. Sometime later, Jason emerges from the ocean by himself, I thought like maybe Moho drowned. Where does she go? That's a good question. I want to point out, though, something we hadn't mentioned before, is he comes back to the black sand shore, which is one of the coolest parts about Hawaiian beaches. Not all of them are black sand, but a few of them are, and it's always a really cool sight to see. We don't find out where Moho is, but Kumu is watching from afar, clearly skeptical about Jason's commitment. I mean, he's not working on the canoe. He's off swimming. But uh, there is a little uh, package waiting for Jason on the shore. Yes, it's uh, wrapped up in what looks to be a traditional blanket, and he unwraps it, and it's more rocks attached to sticks. (laughs) All these ancient tools to help him carve this canoe. Exactly, and Jason somehow knows how they all work and exactly what they do because he goes right to work hollowing out the wood that he'd cut down. And I gotta say, I have no clue how the thing he's working on is going to be big enough to be considered a canoe. I have that in my notes too, because I mean, this thing is like real thin, but like he's, as some time has passed, he's already started carving it out. It's pretty much in the shape of a canoe, but it looks too narrow exactly. to fit his body. And we'll see later on that this is not a canoe of the type that we are familiar with. And I didn't do any research on outriggers because that's also the type of Hawaiian outrigger. But but we also saw an outrigger in the last episode, Dolphin Quest. And it was wider. They were fully seated inside of the boat. But traditional, perhaps this is different. Perhaps it's just for the shot. Regardless, I was so focused on this that I could barely hear Kumu's lecture to Jason about respecting the strength of the Kona wood. The koa gives nothing, Keikikane. Every piece must be earned. Great. Another lesson. It was basically Mr. Miyagi, you know, platitudes. He does tell Jason he's doing a good job, though. So he's, you know, giving him, you know, encouragement. Exactly. He He teases him a bit, but... He sees that he's coming around. Mm -hmm. So Kumu and Moho seem to be on parallel journeys, realizing, oh, this guy that showed up, maybe he's the real deal. And luckily for us, Jason proves his worth because as he's having this little mini fun argument with Kumu, he dumps a bowl of water over his head mm. in a very sexy fashion. No reason for him to do so. It didn't seem particularly hot. But Fan service. I'm good with that. God bless you, sir. Jason, though, he pushes Kumu a little bit too far. What? You mock me? He's a jokey guy. He doesn't outwardly take too much seriously. And his crappy attitude 
is wearing thin on Kumu. But Jason saves the situation. When you have a smile like that, you can get out of almost anything. And he goes right back to working on the canoe as we fade out to our next commercial break. Remember the future? Not everything turned out like we hoped. But even though robots aren't doing our laundry, we have made a few advancements. Today, almost anything you could want is right at your fingertips. Log on to the Sci-Fi Channel store now, and you'll find one of the world's biggest and best collections of sci-fi gifts, toys, apparel, and more. Simply select your item, and they'll be delivered right to your door within days. What could be easier? The Sci-Fi Channel store. A little taste of tomorrow, today. We return from break. He is pretty much just like sanding it down at this point. It's pretty much done. We never saw any sandpaper in this traditional tool set, by the way, I, did I, we? I felt like it, he's just using a rock. Oh, maybe he was. We'll have to look back at that. Yeah. But um, Kumu comes up with just a random guy. A new visitor is here. A bald guy with a goatee. He is going to show Jason of how to, I guess, tie the outrigger part to the canoe. Yes. Like, I guess, ancient knots or something. I don't know. Kumu has brought this guy here because due to his age, due to his well, terminal illness that we never find out about, he's not going to be really capable of showing Jason how to do it properly. I have a couple things. Please. About this. One, like, yeah, you might not be able to, like, do the roping yourself, but you can tell Jason how to do it and let him know, like, if he's doing it right or wrong. And two, if this guy knows how to make an outrigger canoe, why do you need to pass on the tradition? Someone else already knows how to do it. That, I never thought about that till now. My thought was, why even bring him in at all? He doesn't have any lines. I think they give his name, which I didn't catch. He's not on IMDb, and... He serves no purpose. I really think this is like what I thought of in my head. Please. He is like someone who like won some sort of contest or knew someone on the production and just they had him just come on the show just because he wanted to be on it or someone owed him a favor or something. I can see that. The goddamn cast list is so small. Why not throw in another person? In fact, maybe they looked at the call sheet when they were filming the episode. It's like, oh, damn it. We should have another person in here to at least break it up. <laughs> He and Kumu go over to the canoe, and I guess they start setting it up, and Moho arrives and takes Jason aside, because obviously all the manual labor he's been doing, his hands would be in some sort of bad shape. But they show his hands. He has no blisters, no cuts, no scrapes. His hands are fine, maybe a little red. Let's remember, this is 2000. Everyone was watching on standard definition, <laughs> on much smaller televisions, and when I was watching it, I was hungover, so I would not have noticed, but Baywatch is not known for its makeup budget or its special effects. Remember the Man of War? Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of hands, we're going to have to do something about yours. They'll be all right. No. You won't be able to tie the armor. Come with me. What actually happens here, it's just an excuse for Moho and Jason to have some sexy time. She is going to lotion his hands for him, and... I'm not sure why Jason couldn't rub lotion on his hands himself. His hands were just so beat up and delicate. She needed to rub the salve on it and cure him. Yes, where they stare longingly into one another's eyes as they rub hands. To be honest, it made me think of my time in a few raves. <laughs> just like a, lot, a lot of hand rubbing. But this rub is interrupted because Kumu has no time for sexy time. It is now time to lash the boat together. Hey, Romeo! Time to get back to work. It also must be like kind of like weird to see his granddaughter throw herself at someone, even though he kind of likes, he's pushing them together. He probably doesn't want to see that. 
I'm right there with you. It's it's hard for me to think any culture would be all that down with grandpa watching granddaughter get it on with somebody. <laughs> but uh, Pornhub has a lot of search values. Anyway. <laughs> it's that I know exactly what you're talking about. This sexiness ends quickly because we move into our first real montage of the episode, which is Jason learning how to tie rope. Which I wouldn't even really call this a full montage. It's so short and I, I, I can't quite call it a montage. I see that your definition of montage always has a time component in it, which I'm perfectly fine with. I think that this qualifies because we're getting multiple quick shots with a song playing yeah. over it. Don't get me wrong, I have in my notes, short montage. So <laughs> I knew it was a montage, it just, it seemed a little odd to me that it was so short. It was unsatisfying, certainly. We don't really get anything from it. The song is incredibly earnest, but I, they're trying to get through a message that this is important. Time actually does pass through this short montage because the canoe's complete. Kumu and Moho are both impressed, and Jason, he's just ready to get in the water. All right, well, let's get wet. <laughs> now, it's cloying, it's lame, it's far too long a scene. The montage could have covered some of this, but it all leads to Moho finally admitting her interest in Jason. To her grandfather. Yeah. We, we do see, like, the completed outrigger canoe. Instead of, like, sitting in it, he has a seat on top of it. Not a seat. His ass actually is sitting astride the two walls of the canoe, and he puts his feet into the narrow section. So I guess he's just spread open? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> makes for a long canoe ride. But yeah, as, you know, she's saying that she does show interest of him. You know, we have a little funny scene of Jason flipping his canoe like yeah. he falls in the water. Yeah. So. Which is, is cute. Any, anytime Jason's doing anything, it's cute, to be honest. And Kumu takes this time, though, to try to implore his granddaughter that she should have a life outside of him, that she shouldn't feel trapped because her grandfather's dying. But before we get any sort of resolution... We whiz back to Baywatch HQ, and Studley Sean is leaning over a railing, surely wondering why he had nothing to do this episode. I, I was thinking he was thinking of, like, his grandma, dead puppies to make his boner go down from <laughs> his talk with Jenna earlier. This is Sean. We know he's not the deepest man. <laughs> I'm sure he's just looking and empty. Let's be real. His quiet contemplation is immediately interrupted by the dark cloud that is Jenna. So, have you picked a place for dinner? Wearing super chunky flip-flops. <laughs> like a Spice Girl. Which was the style at the time? The music is ominous but brief. She's here to solidify dinner plans. But what she's really here to do is to tell him what the plans are. Chinese food. They're going to go to a very nice Asian restaurant, and then whatever's going to happen afterwards. And Sean doesn't argue because the outcome is clear. Banging is in the future. He's going to get laid whatever meal they have. <laughs> she walks off, and then Dawn comes up. Wearing chunky flip-flops of her own. And she's here with a warning about Jenna. Sean, this lady has an agenda. She can tell this woman is bad news. But... All the blood is in Sean's boner instead of his ears, so he is not hearing any of it. Exactly. He even kind of accuses Dawn of, of being, being jealous. Mm -hmm. And we did see in Weak Link, which introduced us to Dawn, that she's fairly open sexually. I'm here to be useful in any way I can. 
You know, in addition to a degree in kinesiology, I've studied in India and learned amazing things about how to achieve the potential of the human body. One that's a little less kind may say loose. <laughs> that's an old term. But I would say more just confident. And she shuts Sean down right away. She's not jealous. She knows that Jenna must have some sort of ulterior motive, and she's just concerned about Sean and Baywatch. But again, he can't hear anything. Just the throb, throb, throb <laughs> of that hard-on. And it's something we can consider, though, as we fade to our next commercial break. And now a lesson in pizzanomics. Two is greater than one. That's why we're introducing Pizza Hut's Pick Up a Pair of Pizzas deal. Now you can carry out two medium one-topping pizzas for just $11.99. All day, every day, $11.99. That's two pizzas for a little less than six bucks each. No coupons, no hassles. Pick up the perfection of two pan pizzas or the sheer crispiness of the thin and crispy pizza or any combination of medium pizzas for just $11.99 when you carry out. Not only is two greater than one, but it's twice as delicious. Pizza Hut, the best pizzas under one roof. How can such a thin episode have so many commercials, Denny? Padding. Precisely. Not just padding, but at this period of time, shows in syndication, it was mostly commercials. You would tune in, you'd get a tiny segment, you'd get four or five minutes of commercial, you'd come back, maybe get one scene, and even more commercials. And that's what we get here, because there's not much going on on the show proper. We come back with Jason pulling up to the shore with his canoe and Moho's on the shore and he invites her to come ride with him. Exactly. Apparently his canoe building is very good and so good he's ready to take a passenger. And we get another slow-mo undressing scene. The second of our episode. She takes the strong off her waist. She has another little itty bitty tiny bikini. Itty bitty. Uh, this time she's got a very cumbersome looking seashell belt yeah. on. <laughs> that really, it just looks like it would get caught on everything. I mean, it was just, I think, more to just kind of like show like her waistline and like the cut of her bikini. One to draw your eye to mm. the important. And Jason's eyes were right there. Very much so. She uh, gets onto the bow of the canoe and they just paddle off. Briefly. Yeah. And they return to shore. They make their way out of the water. We get more slow motion and a series of very unearned gauzy flashbacks to earlier in this stupid episode. It was unnecessary, just padding. Barely 30 minutes of episode have passed by this point, and yet we're getting a recap of things we just saw. <laughs> not things that were complicated, not things that weren't very obvious. Instead, it's just the crappy interactions that the two have had. As you say, it's filler. The purpose, narratively, is to remind us these two clashed quite a bit, and now they aren't. It must be, I think, the next day when we come after this whole slimine montage of like their relationship thus far. Exactly. Some sort of time passes. And Jason is ready to say his goodbyes. I'm to go. I'm ready. So he's there with Kumu, and Kumu assures Jason that his granddaughter will be able to help out with whatever mystery ailment he's dying from, that there's no reason for Jason to worry. Not that Jason seems like he's going to, but Jason does assure the old man he's gonna pass on the knowledge that he's learned. What did he learn? There was no instruction, I guess maybe for the rope tying, but all we saw was Jason, cut down this tree. Jason, carve this canoe. Jason, do this. No instruction, no guidance, just watching. I think there was a lot of 
stuff that's supposed to be implied in between. You know, we see basically him starting to carve the canoe and then the canoe's pretty much done. I think it's supposed to assume that, you know, Kuma was guiding him as he's doing all this. We don't get any of that. If anything, what this episode is sort of telling us, canoe making is real easy. <laughs> and that all you need is some rocks and sticks and you can figure it out. But we both know that it's not anything like that. As boring and hollow as this storyline is, it does give us a chance to ponder Jason and that incredibly handsome face of his because there's so much Jason throughout all of this. Enough that Moho is affected. She is practically sliding around, <laughs> as excited as she is. Upset to make her goodbye, but they promise each other that they're going to visit. And then we get a lesson on to the real meaning of aloha. Did you know that to say aloha means that you're sharing part of yourself? You breathe your life, your spirit into them. I heard that. Which I hadn't heard before. Me either. And was kind of strange that you're breathing life into someone when you say that to them. And there's our title of yes. our episode. Yes. Which we don't always get. And so to emphasize this, she puts her forehead on his. And I guess they start sharing a breath. <laughs> I was disgusted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't see a toothbrush or running water anywhere. We live in 2023. I don't want to be that close to anybody unless things are going down. Things do happen. They share a few quick, sexy kisses. And man, he's got some lips on him. <laughs> uh, my very first man crush officially was Marky Mark. And part of it was when he started acting, he has a particular kissing style that is mouth. And it almost looks like he's devouring the person that he is making out with. What was his like first movie? Fear, I believe. Was oh his first movie. god! No, actually, Basketball Diaries may have came first, but that's I can't mm. watch Fear. Why not? The dog head scene. Oh well, you can just watch the <laughs> roller coaster scene, and then the first time they do it scene. Oh, and then the pool scene. Oh, and then when he's about to bang Alyssa Milano. You know what? I'll have to show you a special cut of that. <laughs> Anyway, they share these kisses. Moho gives him one last kiss on the forehead before Jason paddles away, again, sitting on the top of his canoe. And I don't know about this at all, as far as, like, if you can actually canoe from one island to the other. But do you have any idea how far Oahu might be from the big island? That was going to be my question, because it, it seems, like, unimaginable. I'm going to show you a map. And speaking of, like... Kumu, or Moho gave Jason a backpack of food and supplies. Food and water. He specifically says, thanks for the food and water. It did not seem like enough. <laughs> All right, so there's the big island, Denny. There is Oahu. How many miles? 200 miles. Shut up. Between the two islands. So maybe Jason's in a lot better shape than we think. Or he has to stop at each island along the way to take a break. Maybe, but that's going to be a long trip home. I'd kill Sean. I'd <laughs> fucking kill him. Well, Jason will have plenty of time to consider that during our final commercial break. Wow. Even the donut holes cost over a dollar. Honey, nothing good costs under a buck nowadays. How about a 20-minute call to anywhere in America? <laughs> that's crazy. He's right. Dial 10, 10, 2, 20, and all calls up to 20 minutes are only 99 cents. And just 10 cents a minute after that, man. Is it really that cheap? Oh, yeah. Try it. You'll see. Sure, cutie. Why not? Step away from the pastry. What? That's the last declare, sir. Oh. <laughs> Dial 10, 10, 2, 20. The sun sets 
on the nice Chinese restaurant that Jenna picked, and her and Sean are seated in the best seats in the house with a view overlooking the ocean. Gotta say, it doesn't really look like a Chinese restaurant. No, it doesn't. Why did you... Did she say Chinese? Yes, she did. Oh, what they do have in front of them are plates already piled high with noodles. Yeah. That are brown, so it's probably some sort of Asian food, and it's certainly getting cold. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because Jenna is explaining that she's planned out the entire evening. You know, I had this evening completely planned. Everything. That doesn't bother you, does it? Not at all. Good. Because you know, most men would be intimidated when a woman takes control. Robs them of their power. Fortunately, I don't think about these things. She goes into detail, like, how she even admits she's controlling. Exactly. She knows the sort of person that she is. She's unfortunately unapologetic about it as well, but she is aware. And Sean said that he doesn't, he's not bothered by it. Sean's not bothered by much. Which, uh, I feel like it should have been a flag. Again, Sean is a living golden retriever. He, just like Cody, <laughs> they are handsome, handsome men, uh, not the brightest bulbs. In fact, this highly scheduled activity, it's not a buzzkill for Sean at all. He's just happy there's a woman in front of him about to spread. Some lady comes up to the table asking if they would like a flower. I don't think he paid for it. He just took a flower. Good point. And he put it in Jenna's hair. Well, yes, like uh, he pushed her hair sexily away mm. from her ear and placed it there. And then Jenna drops the bomb. I'm having the training center moved under the auspices of the North Shore lifeguards. Doesn't make sense for you to operate separately. What are you talking about? We don't have anything to do with you. Well, until now, that's been true. Until now? Yeah, because while Sean's far more concerned with securing his lay tonight, Jenna has an agenda. As she has made clear, she announces that the Baywatch Training Center, the one that Mitch Buchanan's established, the entire reason that Baywatch is in Hawaii to begin with, it's going to be put under the control of the North Shore lifeguards and one that Jenna is clearly in charge of. Mm -hmm. And Sean, he's immediately pissed. Of course, somebody is trying to take away what's his. And she tries to like downplay it. Like it's no big deal. Why are you getting upset? And Sean is not having any of it. You're not getting my team, Jenna. Your team, it's Mitch Buchanan's team. No, it was Mitch's dream, but it's my team. I trained them. She is a classic manipulator. Mm -hmm. She is trying to frame this as, this is a great idea. What is your problem with it? And luckily, Sean's not taking any of it. He calls her out on it immediately. Who do you think you are? Ultimately comes to the point and accuses her of wanting their equipment. Because apparently whatever this training center has on hand, they've got, we know they have multiple scarabs. We know that they have specialized wave runners. Who knows what else is squirreled away there that Jenna sees for her use. And as we saw in that last episode that we saw with Jenna, our only other episode with Jenna, she has no problem misappropriating funds or equipment for her personal use. Mm -hmm. Well, I hate to pull rank on you, Sean, but as councilwoman, I have every right to use and to be honest, she's stupid on top of everything because this is the sort of thing she could say for pillow talk. They could have gotten through dinner, gotten through dessert, gotten through the banging, and then talked about yeah. it. Because Jenna honestly seems shocked that Sean is as pissed as he is. In her mind, this all makes sense. It's a foregone conclusion. She even explains to Sean... I've already talked to everyone I need to talk to. This is happening. So let's just have a nice dinner and then a great night. Nope. 
No. Mm-mm. Sean cares far too much for his team, and he's not going to back down. What he is going to do, though, is storm out of the restaurant, creating a very small scene. It's not at all dramatic, but Jenna is not the type that wants to have that kind of attention. At first, like, she kind of, like, smiles it off, like, this doesn't bother me at all. And then, like, after a couple seconds, then, like, the smile leaves her face, and then, like, she's realizing, like, this is probably going to be an issue. Well, she's fucked up. Yeah. Her, her plans have not gone that well. And as Sean gets up to storm off, we get to see him in his very dad-like outfit. <laughs> he, he still looks great. Don't yeah. get me wrong, and I can put myself back in 2000 and remember how much fabric we all wore. He's got a blousey. This is very common. These men wear blousey shirts, but it's also very windy there, so it's nice. Blousey, sage green, short sleeve button-down shirt, tucked into his surprisingly well-fitting khakis. Finished with, of course, a braided belt, the type of which that was handed out to all men at oh, that time. Braided belts. Well, they, they serve their purpose. They'll, <laughs> they'll come back. They may be back now. But as he storms away, he reveals the most hideous part of this episode, Denny. He's wearing white tube socks with his sandals. Oh, no, I missed that. Some crimes cannot be forgiven. That has to be a card. It must be. But as we said, Jenna is thrown off. She did not expect Sean to react in such a fashion, especially to leave her in the lurch. And I guess in the past, her feminine wiles have always worked. She's a very attractive woman. There's no question of that. You know, you can overlook some things. She messed with the wrong Boy Scout. Exactly. She tries to play off her embarrassment, just like you said, with a series of strange smiles. But she's clearly uncomfortable and considering her next move as we fade to the end of our episode. Baywatch, season 10, episode 17, Breath of Life. Danny, what did you think? I hated this episode. I think this is my least favorite episode so far. You hated it? I hated it. I hated it. All right, that's all you're gonna give? No. I just have to collect my thoughts here real quick. Okay, well, I will say I also disliked this episode. I can't say I hate it because it's Hawaii, so I'm always going to have a soft spot for that unless it's absolutely dire. And Jason, it hits all my pubescent bells, you know, so I can focus on those things. As a piece of television, as a one-hour segment of a show, as an episode of Baywatch, this is a failure on I would say almost all levels. It's ugly. The shots themselves, for the most part, are shot amateurishly, boringly. There's no dynamism at all. There's nothing exciting in this entire episode. It's a show where it's lifeguards saving people from drowning. Where the fuck is the excitement? The first two minutes. And again, the most exciting part of that was the logo whizzing by. It was bad. And I think even though we're in season 10, which as we've said is season one of Baywatch Hawaii, the budget must be in the goddamn toilet. They don't have time or room for anything interesting. Like the main storyline of this whole episode predicated on something that was so unbelievable. You asking your employee to do something for you that is outside their job description and you basically lied to them and it's something completely different. If that was me, I don't care how hot Sean is. I would be like, fuck this job. I'm not doing this. Take this job and shove it. I'm not fucking chopping out a tree and carving out a canoe. You have proven, Denny, that your gumption is stronger than your erection. And I appreciate (laughs) that quite a bit. I'm sure it's mostly that you're a little older now. And I think that maybe if you were in your 20s, you might sing a different song. I certainly would forgive a hell of a lot more than I would now. But you're right. We don't even get any follow-up with Sean. 
and Jason. There was plenty of time within the hour, well, the 45 minutes, to have another end scene with the two of them. Hell, would be great if Sean's waiting on the beach as Jason canoes up and he's and they have a like a knowing laugh. They don't actually even get into it. They're like, oh, I know what you did. And it's like, I told you it would work out. Nothing. I hope they at least touch on that next in the next episode, which we might not even see. Well, at least not for a while. Yeah. It baffled me. Yeah. And then the, the most exciting part of the episode was this whole like Jenna, Sean undermining of thing. And it was barely touched on. It was basically a soap opera, yeah. like a nighttime soap. It felt real Melrose Place. And in fact, that's I, I said when Dawn first appeared that she seems like a soap opera actress. Mm-hmm. And that obviously in Baywatch Hawaii, they're throwing in more of those sorts of things. But it's not enough. If they were really going to change the show, give us some of that for real. Don't throw us a fucking bone at the yeah. very end of the episode. There's a tiny bit in the middle, and at the end, that's the only through line. Yeah, and I, I kind of understand why this episode was made you know i guess they wanted to more touch on like the hawaiian culture but it doesn't make for exciting tv and it also like portrays like the whole premise of the show i'm gonna bet that across the 44 episodes of baywatch hawaii they touch on a hell of a lot of hawaiian culture and i hope that they do it in a not more sensitive way but more entertaining way because I, i have a hard time thinking any of this would stick with anybody One of the hallmarks of sharing different cultures with people is to enrich them, right? Is to show them how it can reflect on their lives. It makes the world a more connected place, et cetera, et cetera. This, if anything, it's like, oh, here's some hokey stuff that these people do. It's important to them, but we'll move on. Because even Jason doesn't remark on it by the end. Mm. It would have been a great place to throw in some of the phrases that they had shared or, you know, the other Hawaiian language words that mean something. I mean, they, they... Gave a tiny bit with Aloha, but... Yeah, so the, this was this is a pass for me. I wouldn't bother watching this episode, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, of this episode of Hawaii, not our podcast. <laughs> well, if you've gotten this far, <laughs> fuck you! We got you! But, no, I, I agree. Unless you are a major Jason Momoa fan, this is skippable. I would say, on the other hand, if you're watching the show all the way through and you want to get the plot details, this was, would be a good one, too fast forward through to just the Jenna scenes because I'll say as much of as a bitch that she is and she is very stiff and there's a lot of artificiality to her she is at least exciting when she's on screen entertaining she's creating some friction mm. and causing some drama and give me some drama god okay. damn it if they're not going to give us exciting rescues or lots of montages or hot extras for as far as the eye to see give me some skanky drama <laughs> it yeah. is what it is they can't I, all be winners. I'm going to rate this episode having to chop down two big trees with stone tools out of 10. Wow. Well, see, Danny, that's a little, little bit in reverse because I'd rather cut down two trees than 10 trees. Fair. That's actually a good point. So <laughs> should this be an eight? You have yes. to cut down eight trees? Yes. Yeah, so let's reverse of- that. Having to chop down eight trees with a fucking stone hammer. With, out of 10. With no instruction or prior yeah. knowledge of it. Yes. We didn't even get to see the poor man stretch. <laughs> he didn't warm up. You know his shoulders were killing him. But mm, I'd rub him. <laughs> hey, they have lotion. They're ready to go. But anyway, that's enough of that episode. Let's get into our next episode. And Demi, how do we decide what our next episode is going to be? By spinning the magic beach bingo cage ball thingy, which I change every time because ba- I have... Basket starts with a B, Denny. 
basket. <laughs> Magic beach bingo basket. All right, spin that basket of balls, Denny. All right, we have season three, episode six. What? What? Oh, she's back. Baywatch, season three, episode six, showdown at Malibu High. The love triangle of Courtney, Slade, and Summer intensifies even as Slade's father pays him a visit. CJ takes a job at a local high school and Garner grows frustrated with his job. Do you remember who Courtney is, Denny? Yes, uh, Miss Elizabeth Berkeley. You don't want to do anything else to make more enemies. School can be a very lonely place when no one will talk to you. You don't want that, do you? who got drunk on the beach and almost drowned. I've got these boys to look after me. Wait, Total I, mean girl. I really did not realize that she had a few episodes. Looks like your information wasn't very accurate. She's played by who, Denny? Elizabeth Berkeley. Oh, you already said yeah. it, didn't you? Yes, Elizabeth Berkeley of Saved by the Bell and Showgirls fame. And I'm sure that we are looking forward to lots of cuntiness. I cannot wait. Ugh, not just do we have Elizabeth Berkley, we get Slade, my favorite cast member, Kelly Slater, and we get CJ, which means more Pamela Anderson. Thank goodness we do not get enough of her on this show. And Garner with an actual plot. And we actually see the high school age kids go to high school. Our minds will be blown, Denny. Now, this is something to look forward to. Fantastic. Cannot wait for next episode. Wonderful. We'll be flying way back in time to 1992 with Showdown at Malibu Beach High. Thank you for listening to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. You can check us out at our website, hotredshorts.com, where I make trading cards of each and every single episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Hot Red Shorts. We hope that you join us next time. And I've been Josh. I'm Denny. And thanks for listening. <laughs>